Please be opening your Bible to the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 3, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Every family has a history. Every home has a beginning. And when a couple falls in love, gets married, and starts the journey toward their family life, they all have dreams. They all have hopes of what it's going to be like, of what the future will look like. And for some of us, those dreams become reality. Unfortunately for others of us, the dreams die. Life doesn't go the way we hoped it would, expected it would go. Marriages don't always last. Families don't always stick together. This box, this box contains the story of my family's beginning. In this box are hundreds of letters and cards that Monisa and I mailed to each other back in the late 70s and the early 80s when we were dating and for the first year and a half after we became husband and wife because when we, uh, we got married, I was still in seminary. Monisa was living in the house next to the church and had her job as a social worker. And on Monday afternoon, I would drive four hours to Louisville, go to school through Friday, and then that evening drive back. And so for the first year and a half, we had a weekend marriage, you could say. And so the letters continued after we got married. Now, for some of you in here who are younger than me, this was before the days of smartphones. This, this was before cell phones. This was before flip phones. This was before the bag phone ever came out. And uh, calling someone back then was long distance and it was expensive. So if you were separated, you might speak to each other on the phone once a week because it was not cheap. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So we did something that uh, some of you in this room have never done. We wrote letters. And so every day I would sit in my dorm room and I would write a letter to, the, to, to my girlfriend and then later my wife, and she would write letters to me. And, and the best part of my day was going to the post office on campus to see if I had a new letter from Monisa. And I'd get the letter. She would get my letters, what, maybe three days after we, we mailed them. And we would talk about what was going on that day and share our feelings. And uh, I'm not going to let you read these, but if I did... <laughs> you would find they're just as mushy as some of the things you say to each other now when you're falling in love and you know there's all that passion and you're just so excited and you can't stand to be apart and and all all of that. And the truth is, uh, the years the years have passed quicker than we thought they would. We at that time we did not know the future any better than any of you knew the future or any better than any of us know what the future is going to be today. Um, along the way, there have been some bumps in the road. Some things happen in, in life. Things have happened to us we didn't anticipate. Not everything's been rosy in life. We've grown. We've changed. But the truth is, our dream of a happy life together became reality. Now, we still love each other. We're still in love. There's still passion. We still 
sit in the car on the highway. I hold her hand. We sit in the movies holding hands. We still cuddle on the couch as old people. Uh, yeah, we still cuddle on the couch watching movies. So our dream of a, a happy marriage became reality. And the foundation for our life together, for who we became as a husband and wife, is contained in this box. It's, it's, it's in these, these letters because if you were to read these letters, you would get insight into who each of us was, each of us were as, as individuals. You, you would get insight into what was, what was important to us in life. And, and who we were at that moment in time and what was important to us individually and, and together at that moment in time shaped the direction of our marriage, of our life together. Because the truth is, who you are and what is ultimately important to you is going to shape the direction of your life and of your relationships. Who I am today, who Monisa is today, who we are together today is going to shape what our life is going to look like in five years. In 10 years, it shapes the influence we have on children and grandchildren and our extended family. And the same thing is, is true with you. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to read to you part of one letter. And, and I intentionally chose one that is a little mushy, but uh, not as mushy as most of them, okay? Uh, I'm not going to put that on you, you know, the really, really, really mushy ones. This is, this is, this is a... This is a less mushy letter. And I began by just explaining to her because we were, you know, she was in one city, I was in a different city, and we wouldn't be able to see each other that weekend, and I wouldn't be able to stop by on Monday and take her lunch, as I always did while I was driving to seminary. But here, here's the little bit mushy part. But I want you to listen for some clues as to who I was. No one person has ever made me feel as good, happy, blessed, and loved as you have. For this, I thank you. That's good. That's good. All I have ever dreamed has been fulfilled in you. And that's true. Your sweet smile and gentle touch are always with me. I only pray I'm able to love you through the years we will have together in the way God demands and in the way you deserve. I will try, knowing that the person benefited most will be me. And then I added, I hope you're smiling now. <laughs> and a um, few of the things about looking forward to seeing her. And, and it ends with that uh, until then, never forget that I constantly think of you, mentioning you in my prayers unceasingly, always with love. I love you, Steve. Yeah. It obviously communicates the emotions. But what I want to point out to you is that there's two other things I mentioned in that letter. Prayer and wanting to be the kind of person who loved her the way God demands or God expects. And the point I want to make, because this is what Colossians is going to teach us about our relationships with our family, whether it's marriage or as parents, children, siblings, whatever, is that as followers of Christ, who we are in relation to Jesus Christ is to shape how we go about those relationships. And if you want to get it right, if, if you want the future of your life as a member of the family that you belong to, if you, if you want to be the best you, 
You cannot separate that from your relationship with Christ. And and I'm, I'm talking about something that is much bigger than being a good church person. Something that is so much more important than than being a religious person. I'm talking about an authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Does it mean you're perfect? No. Does it mean you have it all figured out? No. But it means that your walk with Christ is real. He's not, a, he's not simply an appendage to your life. He is your life. So it's, it's not about being just active at church. It's not just about being religious because the truth is the world has seen a lot of people who are really good at going to church. And they're not impressed. The world has seen a lot of people who are really good at the religious game. It doesn't move them. What the world needs to see desperately are men and women who are in love with Jesus Christ. They're not perfect, but they love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And that relationship shapes them and therefore shapes their relationships with others. How they talk to people, how they treat people, how they deal with problems, how they forgive, how they practice patience. That your relationship with Christ becomes the foundation for your other relationships in life. And if you want your future family to be the best it can be, you've got to deal with with this issue. Now, Colossians 3, we said last Sunday, in verses 18 to 21, those four verses talk about family relationships. Just four verses in the whole chapter. The first 17 verses talk about our relationships with other people, especially our relationships with fellow believers. And the premise of this sermon series is that God expects you to treat your family just as well as you treat other church members. And that if God says when it comes to your relationships in general, you're to practice compassion and deal with your anger the proper way, all of those things apply equally to how you deal with your family, how you deal with your parents, with your children, with your husband, with your wife, with your brothers, with your sisters. And so we're going to walk through the first 17 verses over the next few weeks and apply the teaching in those verses about relationships at large to our relationships in the home because they are, they are pivotal to our having a good relationship, increasing the likelihood that our relationships with our family members are going to be healthy in the future. And what's really interesting to me is how Paul begins this chapter. So would you look with me at verse 1, chapter 3. Stand in honor of God's word as we read together, please. Everyone standing. And let's read together beginning with verse 1, the first four verses. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, referring to the second coming, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, now it's interesting. This whole chapter is devoted to relationships. Relationships with fellow believers, relationships in the home. At the end of the chapter, even relationships in a work setting. So why does he begin talking about your relationship with Jesus? Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to get all the other relationships in life correct, you have to get your relationship with Jesus right. That's the foundation. 
If you're going to be the kind of Christian husband, Christian wife, Christian parent, Christian son, Christian daughter, Christian brother, Christian sister, Christian cousin, Christian uncle, Christian aunt, on, on down the list. If you're going to be the kind of disciple in the, all these family relationships that, that God calls you to be, you have to get it right when it comes to your relationship with him because that's where it all begins. And that's the reason he starts this whole chapter on relationships by talking about the centrality of your relationship with Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes, and I, I don't have time to do everything I'd like to do, but I want to walk through these four verses and, and, and share some things with you about your relationship with Jesus and how it can impact your relationship with your family. He begins in verse, verse 1 by saying, Therefore, if you have been raised up, with Christ. And notice he begins with if, it's conditional. It's all conditioned on have you had a salvation experience with Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? And when he when he says raised up, notice that's past tense. If you have been raised up, past tense. So he's not referring to your future physical bodily resurrection at the second coming of Jesus. He's talking about a past resurrection you experienced as a believer. What was that? Your salvation. Because in verse 3, he also says, you have died. Again, past tense. The Bible teaches that in a very real way, when Jesus literally physically died on the cross, was physically buried in the tomb, and physically raised from the dead, you, once you became a follower of Christ, when you committed your life to Jesus, in that moment when you were saved, you spiritually died with him on that cross and died to sin. And the old person is dead and buried. And when you gave your life to Christ, you were spiritually raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, becoming a new person. As Paul in the book of Romans says, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. You are a new person and the power of God, as we talked about two weeks ago on Easter, that raised Jesus from the dead, entered into your life at the moment Christ came into your life and made you somebody new. And so he says, the condition is, have you had that experience? If, if you have died with Christ and then been raised, dead to sin and raised to walk in newness of life, Jesus said, if you want to come after me, what do you have to do? If you want to come after me, do what? Deny yourself? Take up your cross how often? Daily and follow me. So it's all about spiritual death, spiritual resurrection, spiritual life. And so it's that relationship with Christ. That's why I'm saying, brothers and sisters, that if you're going to have the Christian family you want in the future, if you're going to be the kind of husband, wife, etc., you want to be in the future, you've got to settle this relationship with Christ. It's all conditional. If, if you have a genuine relationship with you, you've been transformed and you're continuing to grow in your relationship with Christ, then there are all kinds of possibilities ahead of you. Now, does that guarantee that everything's going to go well in life? No. Does that guarantee you'll make no mistakes? No. Does that guarantee that all of your kids will follow Jesus? No. But it definitely increases the likelihood that your family is going to be healthy, that people are going to follow Christ in the future, and it definitely guarantees that you're going to be a better you so that your relationships will be better. Because if you don't become a better you, your relationships are going to suffer. And so growing in Christ 
is the foundation for your future family relationships. And so he begins in verse 1 saying, Therefore, if you've had this experience, keep seeking the things above. Focus on what is above. From heaven's perspective, here's the image. Picture this. Because you are dead in Christ and alive in Christ, and later he says your life is hidden with Christ in God, you have a different vantage point from which you see the world, from which you see life. It's as though literally you are standing on the balcony of heaven and looking down on earth. You are looking down at life from a different vantage point. You have a different perspective than what the average person in this world has because you're seeing things from his perspective. And he says, where, where is that place? It's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father. That's a picture of the authority that belongs to Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven. And so as a follower of Christ, it's as though I'm up there and I see him as King of kings and Lord of lords and I look down on my life, I look down on this world, I look down on my family and I see it in a completely different way than the average person does because I see it from the perspective that Jesus really is Lord, he really is king, and then that's going to shape how I treat the people in my family. That's going to shape how I treat people at church. That's that's going to shape how I deal with the challenges and the frustrations and the problems that always come in life. And whereas a lot of people who have a a view from the earth, they don't have a heaven's perspective. They're not listening to the word of God because when he's your king, you you see him at the right hand of God and you see his authority. Then, Then you accept what he says in this word as truth for your life. Because this is your king speaking. And so later in this chapter, when he talks about showing compassion, all right, God, teach me to show compassion to the people in my family. When he talks about dealing with your anger the right way later in this chapter, you say, okay, God, I get it. That in my relationships, I'm supposed to deal with anger the right way. The world might say I'm okay to do it this way, but God, you say this, and therefore that shapes my relationships. And that's going to have a big impact on my family's future. And so, again, your relationship with Jesus is foundational because it shapes how you look at everything else in your life and he says seek it look look at it he said if you've been raised up with Christ you have this right seek the things above that means you go after it you desire it you want it you you want to do things God's way you want to live life in relationships God's way you remember on Easter Sunday when I was interviewing Mariah Peters we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it but you know she mentioned that she felt as a teenager God led her to make a commitment to save her first kiss till her wedding day, right? And when she was on American Idol, the judges ridiculed her for that. They didn't get it. But that's okay. Because this culture, the people in this world, they, they look at life from down here. But they look at it from this perspective. But as followers of Christ, we're looking at it from a different perspective. We're looking at it from above. We're seeking. We we desire. We want those things from above. We want God's plan. We want God's purpose. We want God's will. And so we look down on ourselves and our choices and our values and our priorities and our life differently because we're looking at it from above. And we are to desire that. And that's foundational for how you're going to do family 
life. The, the New American Standard that I'm reading from translates that keep seeking. Keep seeking. Because in the Greek of the New Testament, that verb is in the continuous action, meaning there's something that you've got to continue doing. Now, at our home, Saturday mornings is one of my favorite times of the week. I like to get up early, go down to the kitchen, get some coffee, read my Bible. In the dark ages, I would read the newspaper. Did y'all get that? After I've read my Bible now, I get out my smartphone or my laptop and just go to whatever websites I want to go to. I don't, I don't get the paper anymore. But that's my time. That's, just, that's my me time on Saturday morning. I enjoy that. Now, Monisa stays in bed. That's her me time. But not so she can sleep. Well, maybe a little. But not primarily. That's just her quiet time. That's her downtime on Saturday morning. And she'll lay in bed and pray. I can't do that. If I try to pray in bed, I go to sleep. I have to be erect. I just can't do that. Okay? She'll lay in bed and, and she'll pray. That's her routine. She's up there and she's quiet. Wait, you know, I'm in the kitchen. It's quiet. It's my time. That's her time. And recently, she felt impressed of God to add something to her prayer time. And that was to, she, she, she's got a litany, a list of pastors in her head and their families that she prays for on Saturday morning. My point is, while she's enjoyed that time on Saturday morning, it's only recently God impressed on her to begin praying for the pastors and staff and their families and stuff. Keep seeking. See, if, if all of your talk about what God is doing in your life is in the past, that indicates there's a spiritual problem. Keep seeking means that, that I'm continuously open to what God is trying to teach me. God is trying to say to me. God is trying to do in my life. How God is trying to grow me. What is the fresh word from God? What is the, the fresh thing that God's trying to do in your life to make you a better disciple? Because if you're not allowing God to do that fresh work, then you're probably not growing a whole lot in your other relationships either. Growing in your walk with Christ empowers you, emboldens you to grow in other relationships. So keep seeking. Don't, don't give up. Don't become stale. Don't become static. Keep growing. Keep spiritually maturing, changing, hearing from God. Then verse 2, he says, set your mind. Set your mind on the things above. It's interesting. Verse 1, the NI. V translates it, you know, set your heart, your affections. King James, set your affections, set your heart. Verse 2, it's set your mind. Because the truth is, if you're going to be the kind of person in your relationships with your family that you need to be, you have to give both your heart and your mind to God. You, your heart, your affections, your emotions, your feelings, your mind, your intellect, your thinking, your thought processes, your attitudes. See, too many of us make the mistake of living primarily by our heart, by our emotions. And we're up and we're down. And if we live by our emotions, we're going to make a lot of mistakes in life because we're going to be rash and we're going to jump at things. And, and, and we're going to make bad decisions. Others, others of us make the mistake of living primarily by the mind. Very intellectual. Very logical. 
but we don't know how to forgive. We, we don't know how to show patience. We, we don't know how to show kindness. We get it up here, but we don't get it down here. And what God is saying, if you want to be the right kind of person in your family so that you can impact your family in a good way in the future, you've got to allow God to work in your mind and in your heart, in your thinking and in your emotions so that you're growing as a total being. Because you follow Christ with all of you. And that's going to make a big difference on what your family becomes. It's going to make a big difference on the kind of relationships you have with your family in the future. Your mind, to think on it, to think about stuff. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? I beseech you, brethren, what? By the mercies of God that you present, you give your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. And then in verse 2, don't be conformed or fashioned after the pattern of this world, this culture, but instead be transformed, be different. How? By the renewing of your mind. You've got to allow God to shape your thinking, your attitudes. And, And there's a lot of relationships that suffer because people don't allow God to change their thinking or they don't allow God to teach them how to, how to feel. We, we remain prisoners of the past rather than allowing the transforming power of Christ to make us someone new. So set your mind on the things above, not on the things of, of earth. And does that mean that everything down here is evil? <laughs> no. There's a lot of us in this room who like a lot of stuff down here on earth. I like sports a lot. I like fishing. I've got some TV shows I like, and I record, you know, Moxie. I, I record those. That's stuff I like. I like going down to Lansford Canal and seeing the lilies in May. That's stuff I like. But there are some things in this world, on this earth, that are evil. And the Bible says you've got to know the difference between the two. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the chapter before this one, he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. What is philosophy? It's just a, a way of thinking. It's a view of life. It's a perspective on things. And this world has its own philosophy, its own way of thinking. This culture has its own view of life. And God says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, don't allow this world to make you a slave of, dependent on, shaped by how it views life. Why? Because I'm a follower of Christ. I'm looking down from above. I've got a different perspective, a different vantage point, a different worldview, a different philosophy that impacts my relationships. And the world may say some things are okay, and God says, no, they're not, because they're going to hurt you. They're going to damage your relationships. They're going to hurt people you care about. He says, don't don't become a slave to this worldly tradition. Notice he goes on in verse 8, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. This, this, This culture has all kinds of thoughts on what relationships look like on how you should go about stuff 
Some of it's okay. But a lot of it isn't. And they promise you if you do all this and that, then, then it's going to be an easy, it'll be a, a good road to be okay. What they don't tell you is much of what this culture says is a dead-end street. And you end up banging your head against the wall. And some of you have gotten in, in such deep relational ruts because you've listened to what the culture says rather than basing relationships on God's perspective. You've got in such deep ruts, you don't think you can get out of them. And it's making a mess of your life and your relationships. And I want to say to you that not only can Christ forgive you, he can get you out of that rut. But you have to allow him. You have to cooperate with him. And the power of of God that raised Jesus from that tomb can get you out of that relationship rut. Because your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God, he says here. Now, he continues in chapter 3. Not focusing on the things on earth and the other, there are some things, but hey, look at who you really are. Who are you? Well, that's what verse 3 is all about. You as a follower of Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, when you hide something, two things are happening. Okay? Number one, you're protecting it. You're keeping it safe. And you as a follower of Christ... Your life is hidden with Christ and God. That means that spiritually your salvation is secure. Your eternity is secure. It's the reason Jesus said don't be afraid of what people in this world can do to you. The most they can do, the absolute worst they can do is kill you. But if that happens, your soul is safe. Your eternity is safe. Your future destiny is safe. It's hidden with Christ in God. You're safe. But when we hide things, it also means they're invisible. They're out of sight. And what that means for us as followers of Christ is the world doesn't get us. They don't understand. Because we belong to an invisible kingdom. This Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the throne, at the right hand of authority, this Jesus who is the Son, who is the triune God, this Jesus who is King. The Bible says a day is coming, it's the second coming, when every eye will see Him. And when every eye sees Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess He is Lord. But right now, they don't get Him. Jesus told Pilate when he was on trial that that his kingdom was none of this world. His is an invisible kingdom. We're part of it. It's real. It's tangible. But the world doesn't see it. The culture doesn't understand it. They even laugh at it. They don't get it. Our citizenship, brothers and sisters, is in that kingdom. And that takes precedence over our citizenship in America or in any other group to which we belong. And when you get that, you understand that, yes, 
I live in South Carolina. Yes, I live in the United States of America. And and yes, I have this. And yes, I have that. But ultimately, who am I? I am someone who is following Christ. My life is hidden with him in God. I'm a member of his invisible kingdom. And he's my Lord. And he shapes how I approach life. He approaches how I do relationships. He, 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 He affects all of that. So how do you see yourself? And how do do you see yourself in this world? Where where do you get your values from? Where where do you get your approach to relationships from? When I was a teenager... First starting out to preach while I was still in high school, I knew there was a certain kind of woman I wanted to be my wife. And so after being in some teaching, I made a decision that I would not date anyone who was not already demonstrating by their lifestyle a dedication to Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. So back in the 70s, that meant I watched Love Boat a lot on Saturday nights. But I'm going to tell you something. When you get, you get God's perspective and you say, all right, that's a good perspective, and I'm going to base my decisions about life and relationships on that, and you trust him, God <laughs> blesses you beyond what you're worthy of. But when you, you can't see from that perspective and make decisions from that perspective about relationships, and you let the world tell you, tell you how to go about it, See, see, listen, brothers and sisters, good decisions when you're young can bless your life for decades and bad decisions when you're young can hinder your life for decades. If you think what you do when you're in high school and college don't matter, wake up, it does matter. Because I I don't want some of you to, to have to waste years trying to dig out of some painful ruts. God God doesn't want you living in those painful ruts. He's got better stuff for you. Well, I'm out of time. When Christ, who is our life, boy, I wish I could preach that. He's not an appendage. He is our life is revealed second coming and every eye sees him and, and, and everybody will know who he is and nobody will be laughing at him anymore. On that day, then, on that day, you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that means that when Jesus is standing in front of everyone, in front of the whole universe, and all the glory and majesty of heaven at the second coming, you and I who love him and follow him and are devoted to him are going to be standing there, and his glory is just going to fall all over us as we stand in it with him. What a day! Now here's my question. On that day when those who love Jesus are standing in his glory, where's your family going to be? Where are you going to be? Well, what you do now 
shapes what happens then. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that we're influencing the people in our family for good or not good? Let me close with this story. Marcus Lee just finished his junior season as a player for, the, for Kentucky. Now, every team, now, now hear this. I'm not telling you the story because it's Kentucky. I want to tell you the story about him and his mom. Every, most, most basketball teams, most football teams do good things in their local communities. The coaches will take them to do projects from time to time, right? Some more than others. And then from time to time you find a player on one of those teams that goes above and beyond on his own because of who he is. Marcus Lee's one of those guys. He's been recognized for the last two years by the SEC and the NCAA for who he is as a person. On his own at Christmas he rings the bell for the Salvation Army. None of the team thinks what he does. On his own. He packs lunches for needy kids and takes them to the elementary schools in Lexington. On his own, he volunteers at God's Pantry, a food kitchen, food bank. On his own, he showed up at the intensive care unit to visit a fan who had fallen at Rupp Arena and was injured. On his own, he goes to elementary schools and plays kickball with the students. On his own, he went to the hospital to visit a nine-year-old boy with leukemia. It was two years ago. They see each other every month for the past two years. They text and call each other every single day. On his own, he took this nine-year-old boy to King's Island, which is a pretty cool amusement park near Cincinnati with great roller coasters. The Beast and the Son of the Beast and others. I like roller coasters. But do you know where all that started? With his mother. Because he grew up in California. His mom taking him to a predominantly African American Baptist church. Involved in the church. When he was a teenager he was an usher and he sang in the choir. His mom on Thanksgiving would take him. And after church they would feed the homeless on Thanksgiving day. When he was playing all those AAU basketball games, became a high school All-American, by the way. All those games. He, he tells the story after one of the games, he and his mom had gone through a, a fast food drive through and gotten some cheeseburgers and fries and stuff. And on the way out, she saw this homeless guy holding a sign, hungry, please help. She rolled down the window. She gave him all their food, went back through the line and got more cheeseburgers. <laughs> but... But let me read to you what Marcus said about his mom. He said, that stuck with me. Seeing her do those things laid a good foundation and helped me down the path I'm on today. And here's my question. What are the other people in your family, children, grandchildren, siblings, whomever, what are they learning by watching you? What are they learning about how you see life? 
how you see the approach to relationships. What are, the, what are they learning as they watch how you treat people? What, what are they learning as they watch you about a real relationship with Jesus that goes beyond just, hey, I'm a good church guy, but a real relationship with Christ? Because when he talks about these other things in, in, in the rest of this chapter, if, if you have settled the issue that, that Christ is at the right hand, that he's your king, and you're looking at your life and your relationships from that perspective, from above, then you will have an ability, a desire, and a motivation to live in relationships and to serve and to do in such a way that it impacts other people. Does it guarantee they'll follow your example? No, but it increases the odds. And it guarantees that if there are broken relationships in your life, it won't be because you're the bad guy. Because you'll be the person who works at compassion and forgiveness and patience and controlling your speech and controlling your anger and controlling your attitude. You'll be the person that's always working at keeping the relationships healthy. Why? Because isn't that exactly what Jesus did when he came and died on the cross? He made an effort so that our relationship with God could be healthy. So I'm asking you this morning to settle the issue. What is driving how you're approaching the relationships in your life? What is driving how you look at the world, how you look at life? Let's stand. And as the musicians come, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to invite you to kneel at this altar today and pray for your family and to pray for yourself. And maybe the most important prayer you could pray today is this, God, help me to be open to be open to you working in me so that I can be a better me for my family, so that I can have a greater impact on my family. You see, I can't fix anyone else. You can't fix anyone else. Some of you parents have learned that the hard way. You can't fix your kids. Some of you spouses have learned the hard way. You can't fix your spouse. Young ladies who are single, listen to me. If you're dating somebody because you think you can fix them and change them, uh-uh, not going to work. He will lie to you like a dog to make you think you can change him until he gets you. And then he becomes him. <laughs> the only person you can fix is you. But the more you let God do that in you, it's a beautiful thing to watch how your influence then starts rubbing off on others. And so will you pray for God to help you grow and be a good influence?